Yeah, isn't that cool? What a friend we have in Jesus. We can talk to him, share from our heart. He comes and joins us and speaks to us and uh, brings us peace when things are in turmoil and directs us when we are lost. And He's there for us in this life and in the next. Can't beat that. So we have um, another installment as we look at this Edify series. And it's, it, let me just ask, if you've ever filled out a job application or prepared a resume of some sort, you typically list things on there like maybe a birthday. That's kind of significant. It's hard to, you know, if you don't have one of those, you're not going to be applying for jobs. If you have completed certain levels of education school. They, they're going to ask for something and you put that on there. You have a place of residence because they're looking for your, your place in this world, some geographical location you identify with an address. And so those somehow you wind up with a place. That's where you are connected. You may have several if you pull up some kind of a, a history, several places that you've lived over a lifetime, uh, schools that you've gone to, people that you've met. If you're married or whatever your situation is, single, divorced, widow, widower, all of those things are on these applications and they're looking for pivotal points in your life. What things mark you as who you are? How are you identified? And that's not enough for many people. So they go on Ancestry.com. They spit in a little vial. They send that spit off to the lab. The lab assesses the DNA and they find out even more about where do these people come from? How did they get to this place at this time? What were the ancestors like? And all of those have moments. And then you live through a certain amount of history. If you were born before 2001, 9-11 stands out. If you were before 1963, John F. Kennedy, where were you on the day Kennedy died? Ever heard that question? Where were you on 9-11? So pivotal moments in history, things that happen, mark us, and they carry on into our lives, how we live, what, how we view things. And we are human beings living in a world where we may or may not have actually examined how did we get here? As human beings, who are we? What is it that is unfolding in this universe, this cosmic uh, play that is, is ongoing? Where do we fit? What is happening? Why is it that we see the issues that we see? We go to the scriptures and we know Jesus is our friend, but we may not even know why. We may not know why what he did was significant and how that played a part in all the pivotal moments that happened to our ancestors that leads us to where we are today. So we're going to look at pivotal and we're going to look at three pivotal moments, three pivotal events that led to the, the mess we're in. And, and then also some, some solutions to that and where we are going. There's more to this 
series, but in order to get to where we can actually reframe our thinking and where we understand where we are to be renewed, then we have to have these three. So when we finish with this, because to do put all of this into context would take most of this day, and it's Father's Day, so we have you know some barbecues and things to get to. So we don't have time for all that. So I'm going to ask you to remember these three because they're going to matter as we build and discover the, how this all comes together, how, how, how all that Jesus did is a part of this, how we're living our lives now is part of this, and how important it is to see where God is going as he puts puts things together as we move into the age that is to come. So pivotal. We are looking at, to start with, this, this baseline. So we have to start with this. Genesis, you, you know, that's the first book. So we're going to start with that. So in Genesis verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 1, and verse 31, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, one you're familiar with. It's God who did it, sets it up, Heavens and the earth, this whole physical realm, the whole universe that we're in, heavens and the earth, and, and he's, he's made a place for space and a place for time. All of that kicks off. Verse 31, God looks at all that he had made. So we start with the first, we look at the end. Looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very good. Very good. That's the universe, the cosmos, the the creation that he made. And we will get into more of how all that fit uh, later. First, we're going to look at the pivotal, pivotal moments. So the first one we're going to look at is the rebellion. So we're still in the book of Genesis. We go to chapter 3. And in chapter 3, we have a familiar rebellion. And things begin to break, begin to separate. And we are told... In verse 1, the serpent was the shrewdest of all wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. And God said, You, you must not eat or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. So we have an, uh, an entity that enters into the garden. The garden is made for the people. God's created all of this. He said it was very good. Then we have this, the entrance of another being. A, uh, a supernatural being, as we discover later in, in Scripture, that is seeking to destroy the good that God has created. So he, he has an agenda, and he is moving in a way that grabs the attention of the humans who were alive and represent all humanity. So Adam and Eve are influenced by this. They rebel, as this entity has rebelled, and now we've got... Uh, a whole new situation on earth. Death has entered the cosmos. 
Death wasn't part of the scene before. Now it has entered in. Death is the cessation of life. Death is the separation of the immaterial from the material, the soul and spirit from the body. We've got something that enters in. On, on the level of physics, we have things that, certain energy that existed in the world, first law of thermodynamics, second law of thermodynamics, everything's falling apart. It's all moving in, in this, chaos, moving towards chaos and, and energy is dissipating and things break and if you, if you see an old car sitting in a junkyard, drive through Shoto, you'll see some off to the side there. And those, strangely enough, do not get better on their own. You would think if you left them out there long enough, and I think he's left some for a long time, <laughs> why don't they just get better? Because things don't get better. We know that. That's the second law of thermodynamics. Things tend toward falling apart, breaking down, rusting. So that's the direction. So we've got death. We've got things that are falling apart, entered into the universe, and now we are, we are subject to those things because of a rebellion, because of this entity that comes along, influences humanity, which God said with his creation was very good. Now it is broken and it is sliding in another direction, and he's got to deal with that. The what he sent them out to do, well, he sends them out of the garden so they're no longer in paradise. They have to go out into the wide world and survive, and it's going to be difficult because he tells them, you're going to have to work hard, and even, I want you to go have babies, but when you have babies, that's going to be hard work. Just, this is just going to, it's going to get hard on the other side. Just know that, and, and no longer free lunch. I mean, you're not in here where all the fruit is just falling off the trees. You've you, you got to go out there. So they... They're now existing in that place, and they have babies, and so the, the world is beginning to fill up with people. We've got uh, an influencer who is opposed to God, and we're not given a lot of information in that first bit, uh, the first part of Genesis, on this entity that has entered in. We have the serpent, and, and God is trying through the scriptures to relay the importance of this event and how significant it is. We can get sideways on it's uh, a serpent and make a whole lot of out of the particulars of it's a serpent and, and the serpent's up in the tree and the serpent's carrying on a conversation and which that's for another time. But for understanding the event, we need to know that something so significant happened that we had one world before, one very good world, very good universe, very good relationship of people with people and people with God that has now broken. Significant. So the rebellion is the first of these pivotal moments that we're going to look at. There is another one that happens down the road and prior to the flood. The flood is an answer to the next one. So the flood in terms of the physicality of the world, the, the earth, is, is going, that's, that's a huge pivotal shift from the first when God first created to what happens in the second world. So that's the physical side. 
But there's something that leads into that time when the flood comes, and the flood is the answer to that issue, which is the second pivotal moment. And it is a weird part of the early story in Genesis. So Genesis uh, chapter 6, so we went from the rebellion, and then we have a list of people who live. We have people who are uh, faithful, who have faith, they're following God, and we have a line of those recorded in Scripture, and then we have all these other human beings, millions and millions of human beings who have turned their back on God, who have gone another direction. So then we come to the corruption. That's Genesis 6, 1 through 5. So in Genesis 6, Then the people began to multiply on the earth, and daughters were born to them. The sons of God saw the beautiful women and took any they wanted as their wives. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not put up with humans for such a long time, for they are only mortal flesh. In the future, their normal lifespan will be no more than 120 years. In those days and for some time after, giant Nephilites lived, and maybe Nephilim in your translation, lived on the earth. For whenever the sons of God had intercourse with women, they gave birth to children who became the heroes and famous warriors of ancient times. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he had made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. So here's a scene, and it is from that point that we have Noah, we have the building of the ark, and we have the end of that first world because it, it goes and the flood comes and ends it. What has just happened? We have a supernatural being who has entered in to, hum, to the lives of human beings, interacting with the humans who live now on the earth. We started in Genesis 3 with a supernatural being who is influencing Adam and Eve, all of humanity at that time, to go after themselves, uh, becoming gods or becoming like God, and they took it. That supernatural being is playing a huge part. Where we have uh, landed often is to put everything we have, all of our spiritual uh, eggs in a basket and say that single basket is called the devil. So everything wraps around this one spiritual being, this being that is opposed to God. So if I ask people who know something about vehicles if it's okay to call every car a sedan, is that acceptable? Every four-wheeled vehicle is a sedan. We're just going to put it all in. Well, then every, every vehicle is, is a Ford. Every vehicle is, uh, you just pick a name. You go, but there's a lot. There's all kinds of variety out there. And it seems like every year we add more. 
So, no, it's not just one. Well, we've done the same thing when it comes to spiritual beings. We take all of the accounts and we pull, pull them all together and we put them in one basket and then we just put this name on it. Which is okay to understand, okay, that's, there's God, the, God Yahweh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then uh, there's the devil. So that's, our, that's the negative. Well, that helps to just have two because it's easier to write down. It isn't easier to understand all of the things we're looking at in Scripture if there are no other beings, supernatural beings, who have rebelled against God who show up. If we just bring it all down to the one, then we can't see all of this. Remember, Satan is not everywhere present. He's not omnipowerful. He's not all-knowing. He is not God. But for some reason, over the centuries, he's become that. So that there's almost a, a battle between God on one side, he's the good guy, there's the bad guy on the other side, that's Satan or the devil. And we have this equal match. Because the devil can be everywhere present too. He knows everything about us too. He's dragging us down too. No, he's a single individual created being who rebelled against God he is powerful he had great position but he is not everywhere so when those bad things happen and if you remember the days when when the, the saying the devil made me do it was floating around you know okay it all comes down to one it's just one no there are many why was it Jesus had to get rid of legion Hundreds and hundreds of demons. Out of one, those, those are entities, supernatural entities, existing in our world who have caused incredible harm over time. So we come to this passage, and it's it is a pivotal it is a pivotal moment. I I remember in Hebrew class and, and going through Genesis and we're translating this. And I, my, I wasn't off, often um, in tracking with everybody in seminary for some, some odd reason. But there was, when we did this translation, I'm, I'm, I'm just going, well, it says here that these guys are, are coming to earth and, 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 and there's this whole sexual thing going on and we've got these giants they come out of this relationship. There is something going on here, and I'm translating that. It, I mean, turn in my paper because I had to do a paper on this, and and I get ripped to shreds because the professor is, who's an expert in Hebrew, right, and I'm not, and he says, nope, these are, uh, these are Adam's kids and Eve's kids. So that's all the names mean. So the sons of God are the sons of Adam. So it's just guys who are rebellious. And, and, and then we have these women. You go, it really doesn't help. It already said they're multiplying on the earth, that people are multiplying on, on the earth. So what, where do these guys come from? Anyway, that was just another one of those moments that just... It, anyway, I survived. I got through. But the thing that strikes me as is, is the reality of scripture 
And the tendency among many who are believers and believe the scriptures to a point. But if you add supernatural things in there, well, we can't go there. So we're more Christian materialist. And I remember from Colossians chapter 3, Paul saying, keep your mind on those things in heaven, not the things on earth. Because we are supposed to be living a supernatural life on earth. And as in heaven, on earth. We live that out. We're supposed to be li living the kingdom of God here, experiencing it, the peace of God that passes all understanding in us. And we live on this world, but we've got some stuff we need to know. And I'm telling you, seminary did not help me with this. Did not help me with this. I can look at the language, but that theology that removed those things was dead wrong. This is a pivotal moment, and it was passed over because nobody was comfortable with the supernatural reality that exists here. And it frightened them. And so they toss it. Well, we're just living in a physical world. Here are the, here are the rules of physics. This is how it goes. These, these supernatural things just are not out there. Really? Not out there. I bet they love that they have hidden themselves so well that you don't even recognize that they are there. So, let me tell you something else about this pivotal thing. It is not a material event. These are not physical beings. These are supernatural beings, not unlike the serpent in the garden, who is another one of these. And we're going to get into some names and things, but not today, because, you know, you can only do three things. These are supernatural beings who are in rebellion against God, who are engaged with the people, the physical people, who are here, and they, you remember, Satan can be, present himself as an angel of light. When angels appear, see the, 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 the crazy things that we do with this, the idea of angels in, in our minds are either little cherubim babies flying around with wings, or they're human being-like people with wings. And so that's the idea of an angel. And, and every time a bell rings, an angel gets its wings. And, and whenever people die, you know, you get the little statement, well, you know, he's, he's gotten his wings. And you go, where does that come from? It's all made up. There's nothing biblical about it. It's not what God ever intended. It's, how is it? That if you break down in the middle of nowhere, you've heard these stories, and a guy, I think an angel came by, a guy in his old 57 Chevy truck showed up, changed my tire, charged my battery, gave me some gas, got me on my way. And then when I turned around to thank him, he's gone, truck's gone, everybody's gone. Why don't they talk about that guy with his can of gas with his big wingspan? How big were the wings? How many feathers were left? Nope. Why? Because they look just like human beings when they appear. Just like human beings, which is why we're supposed to be treating people properly because we don't know when we're going to run into an angel that we're not aware of, right? So wouldn't you be aware of an angel that has a six-foot wingspan? Maybe. 
So they don't look like that. They look like people. They take on the form of a human being. So what is so strange that the sons of God, that's what these supernatural beings are called, because there's a whole... Heaven is filled with different beings. We get pictures of that from other scriptures. All kinds of beings. God has had supernatural beings all around him, doing all kinds of things, long before we ever showed up. So why is it we narrow this thing down to this, this simple, well, I can, I can understand it or I'm comfortable, especially if it fits a material mold or the way I think about it. And he refers to these beings as sons of God because they were his creation too. He also gave them the freedom. He gave them intelligence. He gave them skills and abilities. But he gave them the freedom to worship him freely or not. He was so loving that he is willing and so sovereign that he is willing to get freedom for people to turn their back and these other heavenly beings supernatural beings so some did some did so we've got a group of them who have now come down from the heavens around taken on human form they are having sexual relations with the women on earth and babies are born is that anything like what this is saying here sons of god saw the beautiful women took any they wanted as their wives, then the Lord said, my spirit will not put up with this. He's going to go after the humans, which is, he, he deals with the others in a, another way, but he's, he's dealing with the humans. This is, we're not going to let this go on. You've got 120 years. I'm stopping it. That's, it started raining. And that'll stop it. But in those days, and for some time after, so, okay, we've got leading up to the flood, and after the flood, Nephilim. So what are they? Well, they're supernatural creatures and human beings. They're, they're mixed race. They're half-breeds. They're giants in the land. So where do we get the history in Greek and Roman mythology of half-God, half-human individuals. Where does that even come, come in? There's a whole history, whole stories, whole, in every culture, stories of these things from the ancient past. So these beings are called, and we'll get to this in a later message as well, Elohim. These are gods. Elohim is the name in Hebrew that is often associated with God, but because we narrow everything down to one, then we go, Elohim, that's just, that's Yahweh. That's the same as God is God. And there's only one God. And now scripture teaches there are many gods, but you're supposed to have no other God before me. Doesn't mean that there aren't others. Why would he say it if there are no others? He says it because there are others. There are other supernatural beings he's created that were in rebellion. So, so we've got some issues. Not all of them were in rebellion because the angels are also called Elohim. They're at a level above human beings. And they have a different, different responsibility. And they interact with God in a different way. 
And now we have the sons of God, the Elohim, created just like we are, but they have a different responsibility, different place, different powers, and they have interacted with the human women, and now we have giants, the Nephilim. The giants in the land begin, so they're half God, half men, and they begin to have villages or cities, and they they go after, and they definitely are not worshiping the one true God. They are opposed to the one true God. Remember, they have Zeus, they have Jupiter, they, they have Apollo, they have... Just look at some of those old stories. Just think back, maybe high school even, if you have to go all the way back to there. Or maybe a movie that shows some of these demigods. And if you're typical American, you just dismiss it as, well, isn't that, that's fiction, that's a nice story. Not fiction. Not just a story. They existed. Now what they do with them in these stories may be pushed over a little bit as it's been elaborated upon. But that they started with giants in the land that were half God, half men, half Elohim, half human being. Yeah, those things are out there. They were out there. They created a mess. And God said, because now the corruption has gone to another level and the human beings have taken off. All they do continually is think evil things. Everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So this is going downhill. But he, this is still the people who became the heroes and famous warriors of ancient times. They're dealt with. That's why God sends them into the land to deal with them. Remember the first spies go into the land, uh, the first 12? Ten of them come back and, and say, we don't want to go. Yeah, you, the land produces. It is amazing what's going on in that land. But there are giants, and we look like grasshoppers in their sight. So no, we do not want to go in. The other two said, you know, we just came across the Red Sea. We just saw God do some really cool stuff. He took out the, the army of Egypt. I think we can take them. Let's go. Who are they afraid of? in the land, giants. God sends them later to take on giants and giant villages. Where did all that come from? Why was God so intent on destroying these cities and these groups of people? They're half-breed gods and human beings who are worshiping supernatural beings, other Elohim, but not the one true God. See any pivotal moment here? God is dealing with this invasion of these supernatural beings into our world with human beings. It started out being very good. We get the influence of Satan. Things go downhill. Now they have entered in, and when they come, when they come, God says, that's it. We're calling it quits. This thing has gotten way out of hand. So, the flood. These guys still exist. After the flood, Israel is dealing with them. We've got Old Testament. The Old Testament story is built around dealing with these. And that is still only the beginning of the story. Pivotal event. God created the world. Very good. First 
Rebellion. Second, corruption. This is the corruption that came in that pushed the button that said, this is done. We're going we're gonna to do something different. Another, after the flood, so we've got Noah, there's eight people on, on the boat. So Noah and his family, Noah's faithful, he's got three sons. You know, so we've got the, this, whatever they knew, the technology, the culture, the language, uh, the relationship with God. They bring all of that from the first world into the second, the one after the flood. So they're bringing that along. So that's where we start as, human, as, as a race of human beings after the flood, and then they begin to spread out and f- supposed to fill the earth, which was told to them back in Genesis, I mean, early part of Genesis as well. And now, after the flood, that's supposed to happen, and people rebel. They just, God said we should spread out. Let's not. God said, go out there and take on all the mysteries and the wildness and tame it. And let's not. So, we get to the division. So we've had a rebellion, we have corruption, now we're having, uh, we go to the division, which is Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. At one time, all the people of the world spoke the same language and used the same words. As the people migrated to the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia and settled there. They began saying to each other, let's make bricks and harden them with fire. In this region, bricks were used instead of stone and tar was used for mortar. And then they said, come, let's build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. But the Lord came down to look at the city and the tower the people were building. Look, he said, the people are united and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down and confuse, confuse the people with different languages. Then they won't be able to understand each other. And that way, the Lord scattered them all over the world, and they stopped building the city. That's why the city was called Babel, because that is where the Lord confused the people with different languages. In this way, he scattered them all over the world. Another pivotal moment. So people are all speaking one language, and not only do they speak one language, they understand the same words. You go to Australia and try to understand all their words, they speak English. You go to the United Kingdom, talk to them, and they tell you, you know, check the bonnet. And you go, I don't wear a bonnet. And they go, no, that's the hood of the car. Well, how about the boot? Well, that's the trunk of the car. Do we use the same words? No. They spoke the same language, used the same words. And then God said, wow, these guys are rebellious. They're going after their own way. They are striking out against me with this tower that they want to build towards the heavens. It was the high places that were built like that, uh, towers that would provide a place of worship, a place to meet the God. So all around the world, people from different cultures have these similar pyramid-shaped buildings. They're all over. 
every culture, everywhere. You go, where did that come from? Oh, yeah, they just got scattered. What were they building? Oh, that. So we find it in, like, Central America. But wait, those guys didn't, you know, they came over on a land bridge, and they, nobody, they came from a different group. And you go, might want to rethink some of this. Because these things are found everywhere. People were carrying these ideas with them. Their rebellion that had started these other gods, these other Elohim that are in rebellion against God, are scattered with them, which we will get into next week. So those with the scattering, they have carried their traditions and their culture but they did spread out, and they began to fill the earth, which was what God told them to do in the first place. Now, because they can't get along, they can't speak, they can't understand each other, they took off. In our world, well, we just need to come together. We just need to be united. We, let's have a thing called United Nations. Do you know how they work it? They have translators in little booths with little headsets, and they, because not everybody speaks the same language. We still have to, the, we're dealing with the results of this. How pivotal is it if we're dealing with a world that's broken? Have you run into any brokenness in your own body, things falling apart, relationships, your family all united because you guys all speak the same language and everybody speaks, uses the same words. Everybody's getting along great. Huh. So the reality of this pivotal moment is everywhere. What about supernatural beings? Well, we just pretend they don't exist because that's a weird part of the chapter. It's how we got here. And remember it said they existed before and after. So there's more to that story. And we come down to Babel. And we go, okay, everybody's teaming up to, to take care of themselves, go against God, do their own thing. And God says, not so much, and scattered them. Does that mean we don't have little pockets of that going on, empire building and towers and we'll reach up to God going on all through history? Still going on today. Pivotal moments that have led to where we are today and make a huge difference in our daily lives but can be easily overlooked because we are looking at the world around us based on what we hear on CNN or Fox News and in the moment and how much money I got in my pocket and the big pressure at home and it's dry and I got to water something and so I don't even think about God is at work in this huge way in this universe so we go to here's triumph romans 5:17. for the sin of this one man adam caused death to rule over many yeah like all of us but even greater is god's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man the issue was this huge rebellion that takes place in Genesis 3, Jesus comes along and hey, just turn that around because of what he has done. What problems did he solve? There's a whole lot more to that than just one line. But he did it. He did it. Because of God's wonderful grace, all who receive it will, re will live in triumph over sin and death. What was the issue in the garden? Sin led to death. Jesus makes a difference. Disarmed. Colossians chapter 2, verses 14 to 15, have these words. He disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. 
Well, if there aren't any, then what did Jesus do? Not really much, because it's a myth, and it's fiction, and we just make up stuff. No, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Over them, not just Satan, not just a devil, not just one figure, them, all of them. Should we know more about that? Yeah. Triumph. Disarmed. Unity. Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 10. This is John as he's observing what's happening in heaven. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. And they were shouting with a mighty shout, Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. Where are they from? Every language, every nation. All those people that got divided at Babel are now together and they understand one language. And they understand there is one God. That just got turned around. That's unity. So reframe. Three pivotal events, the rebellion, corruption, division. Keep those in mind. God, whose creation was very good, allowed sin and rebellion by his creatures. He's got a plan. He knows better. He knows where he's headed with all this. Uh, but he started with, uh, it was all very good. History reflects God's working and triumph toward all that is good. It looks like it's maybe spread out going its own way. God is at work. He is still at work. And he has not let go of those reins. But he is allowing this chaotic, rebellious behavior to exist for his purposes and ultimately for our good as he brings everything back together. Which is coming, just not yet. But we can get pockets of it. We can experience some now. There's so much more that's waiting. So we'll get into some more of this in the weeks ahead. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for allowing us to know you. Thank you for the scriptures that fill in these gaps so that we can understand more about our lives, who we are as humans, uh, what our lives are to be now, and what is yet to come. And Lord, we want to acknowledge that we worship you you alone, the one true God who sits above the heavens. And Lord, thank you for Jesus Christ, his sacrifice, the triumph that we get to experience for the spirit that fills us and brings that kind of unity because of who you are and what you desire. Thank you for working in us, with us, and through us here in this place in these days. In Jesus' name, amen.